journey through Acts that we've been on for over a year now. We broke down verse by verse the entire first 12 chapters of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, it may say in some translations. And uh, it's, and I've shared with you before, it's more accurate to say the Acts of Jesus, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the continuation of what Jesus does after he ascends into heaven, right? And remember the first chapter talks about what happened after he died on the cross. He came back and he defeated death. We know that. But then he came back and he empowered his apostles to go and share the good news. And this is, this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why we're a church. This is how we got to where we are, essentially the foundations of the creation of the church. There's one core thing that needed to happen and Jesus wanted us to do, and that was to take to spread the news of Jesus, of salvation through Christ and Christ alone to the world. We have a job to do. We have a task as Christians, now that we are committed believers to Christ, now there's something for us to do. If we truly love, truly love Jesus, then we want everybody to know about it. You see, when you experience something life-changing, when something life-changing happens to you, you don't just go home and sit on the couch and smile about it. Instead, when something life-changing happens, when something amazing, mind-blowing happens to us, we have to go tell people. We tell the closest people we know. We tell people that we've kind of known for a while, maybe haven't spoke to in a while, we put it all over social media. We spread, and we tell everybody about that amazing experience. But there's something about salvation that we often try to can. We, we keep it canned inside the church. We keep it canned inside of, uh, of those that we go to church with. We aren't freely living and loving and sharing the gospel outside of our comfort zone. And our Christian comfort zone is around other Christians. Man, we'll talk about Jesus, we'll talk about the word, we'll talk about how good God is with other Christians. But once we get outside of our comfort zone and have a little bit of fear of rejection, fear of looking stupid, I guess is a good way to say it, fear of being um, talked down to or being an outsider, Fear of getting a dislike on social media, fear of argument. That's real. Fear of someone who doesn't believe to push you out. We stop talking. But you see, what we're going to find today in this, uh, this passage that we have before us in Acts chapter 13, it shows the importance of getting uncomfortable, but the importance of trusting God, because his plan is far greater than what our closed-mindedness, our reality, our little bubble, allows us to comprehend. God is in control, and God can and wants to do and will do amazing things through you if you are obedient, and you are willing to go out on a limb, even though you might be afraid that limb's going to break you're still willing to go out on that limb. 
and tell somebody about the life-changing news of Jesus Christ. So we're at a portion where this man named Paul, right, Saul, also known as Paul now, as we're going to start referring to him, he has been sent. He was a leader in the church who has been transformed from a persecutor of Christians who would imprison Christians and who would see Christians with his own eyes be murdered. He, God transforms him into, from a persecutor into a powerful preacher. God uses his amazing gift of gab, I guess we could say, his amazing uh, power of convincing and debating and pushes the Holy Spirit through him to, ma to maximize that tenfold. And he turns this hater into this lover of Jesus Christ. He does this, uses him, and builds up this amazing church in Antioch, right, in the city called Antioch, which is outside of Jerusalem, outside of the, the scope of what most Christian uh, communities were. Here's all these communities kind of about popping up now that Jesus is gone, the, the word spreading, and it's all confined to this kind of little central area. But then there's this church, this like satellite church almost, that pops up out here, or up here, right? And they're like, well, okay, that's me. That's probably not going to survive because, you know, you want to be central to the core of where it all happened and all. But what ended up happening is because God used Paul, he's there, and God uses a man named Barnabas and several leaders in the church, as we'll see in the first few verses in 13, he uses these men, these great leaders in Antioch is doing things that no other church is doing right there in the hot spot of the uh, expansion of the church. So Antioch is like this super church. It's like, wow, they're doing great things. What a great example. Everybody should look up to this church and to see what they're doing. And we should all kind of follow their lead because it works. Why reinvent the wheel? They're doing amazing things. People are being converted everywhere. Well, God has a different plan as always. God, instead of letting this church be this big ball of fire that they all look to, God takes the two of the most influential leaders in the church, two of the leaders that are m making waves in that church, and he commissions them, basically calls them and tells them in the middle of a worship service, while everybody's worshiping, the Holy Spirit speaks and they all get this same message, essentially, Paul and Barnabas are now to be out on the road doing mission work and sharing the gospel with the entire world to the ends of the earth. And that would be hurtful. But this church embraced it. Let's let them go. And now, okay, they accept that. And now Paul and Barnabas are on the road doing missionary work. And this is kind of the first act. And this is the first speech that Paul makes in his missionary work that we're about to see today. So Paul with Barnabas and then John Mark is there with him as we've seen, the, the, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, that same guy, right? They're all there. Now, John Mark, he's kind of the, the prodigy kind of guy that's kind of there apprenticing, I guess is a better way to say it, learning from these men. Now they're there and they arrive in this new place. It's an Antioch of Sidia, it's a new city. And we're going to see that here uh, is what we read. So if we'll start in chapter 13, let's read. It's a lot here, but you're going to see him preach the gospel, 
share the gospel, but give a historic account of what happens before the gospel happens so that these Jews start seeing the big picture. And ultimately, what we're, we're, while we read this, I want us to see God is God being in control throughout this entire time, that he made things happen just in the right time and the right place so that all this happens now. And now these new, these non-believers become Christians. Let's see, let, let, let's see what Paul has to say here, starting in verse 13. Okay, verse 13. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and went back to Jerusalem. There's that John Mark, that same guy. So now he's going back. Now it's Paul and Barnabas. They continued their journey from Perga and reached the Pisidian Antioch. Not the same Antioch they were, but this was named after a leader. So there's Antiochs everywhere. If you find the same cities everywhere, the same names in different states of cities, named after great men of history, it's kind of the same concept. This is an Antioch in, another diff in a different area, okay? Antioch of Sidon. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Okay, Paul stood up. I'll come back to that. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, and you who fear God, listen. This is Paul's message. The God of this people... Israel chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. And after this, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And this is all a historical account that they all know what he's saying because these are Jews and they know the scriptures of the Old Testament. And this is the Old Testament stories of what they're seeing, right? And he's just bringing that. But, but look what he says when he says it. He said, then God did this and God did that and God did this. It's always reminding that God's in the middle of this, okay? Then they asked for the king and God gave them Saul, son of Kish. This king Saul was not a very merry old soul. He was not someone that was liked, okay? He, he, he has a bad history. So when he said Saul, they got a bad taste in their mouth. A man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up, God raised up David, whom they really loved, as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out my own will. And that's direct quotes from Old Testament. From this man's descendants, right? Let me stop there. Look what he's saying when he says God did this, God did that, God brought Israel to the Savior. When we re review a historical event, as Christians, as the foundation of what we do, we kind of understand that when big historical thing happens, that God's in control, right? We're not going to say, well, in um, 
in June of, or in October of 2009, God uh, gave us our first child. And then God gave us our second child. And then God blessed us with a marriage on this day. And then God blessed us with our um, um, whatever, right? You know what I'm saying. I've got I have, all these big events. We're not going to say remind God did this. And then God did that. And then God did this. That's not how we communicate. That's not how we talk. And that's not how they would have communicated then either. But Paul saw it important that every event... He's reminding these Jewish folk every event that God's right in the center of what's happening. God's making this happen. God has this being a part of his plan. It's occurring because this is the will and the great power and the great sovereignty of God that he's in control. So you see each time that God's brought up there, it's important for us to see that because he is kind of like what I was sharing with the kids He's kind of easing into the situation. He is just reminding him of the great glory and the great power of God. That God's been in control this entire time, and God is still in control and will continue to be in control. And he wants them to see that. God has a plan for history, and we need to realize that we have a connection. Not that, that there was a connection then, but us right now, church family, there's a connection to us because we are a part of God's family. And all these things happen for our sanctification, our salvation. And we need to see that as well. So this isn't just a teachable moment in understanding information and knowledge alone, Christians. This is for us to see, wow, okay, God's in control of all those situations. God's in control of the good things. God's in control of the tough times. But ultimately, look what happens in the end. Look what happens in the end. That's what we need to see from this, and we continue seeing this. God is working throughout all of history. Verse 24, let's read. Let's see, we'll see, let's see what Paul continues to say. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but the one is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Paul's referring to John the Baptist, a great, great man doing amazing things, right? Probably one of the greatest men to walk the earth. John the Baptist doing amazing things and has his heart for God. Even he, now being disciples, right, being disciples of leaders in the church, it was a natural thing to happen. Whenever these people started following Jesus, it's a natural thing that when there is a leader within the church, there is a leader that these followers, these disciples would come and follow and support their mission, their journey, and what they're doing. What was happening was kind of natural. If what John is saying is that these men would kind of put the disciples on the lowest level to untying sandals and doing the dirtiest deeds for the leader, right, of the church, for that leader. And he's saying, listen, even I am not worthy of untying the sandals of Jesus. I would not even be worthy of doing the lowest 
most lowly things for Jesus because he is that great. And no matter what you think of me, I am not worthy even in the smallest, in the smallest sense. So, so Paul is trying to say this. You know John. And what John was saying, and John said this, remember this is before the New Testament is coming around. So we're not knowing the story. They didn't come knowing the story of the Gospels. So they're kind of hearing this for the first time. Oh, wow. Okay. So Jesus must be this guy. And John said that? Okay. And Paul goes on and says, Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word, uh, that the word of this salvation has been sent. So all these things happen. This is why I'm here today, guys. Paul's saying, I'm here because all of that foundational uh, uh, historical events happened. This is what led me to be here today. God sent me here today. Right? He didn't just come in and say, bang, you're all going to go to hell if you don't embrace Jesus. That's it. Well, he would have been thrown out. Smart. Paul is extremely smart. And that's why God chose to use him. Verse 27, since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they had fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, this is about Jesus, they condemned him to death, they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they carried out all that had been written about him, and that's talking about all the prophecies of the Old Testament of the Messiah that would come. All those things that said were going were to happen, happened. When they carried all those things out, he would die a death he didn't deserve. All the things would happen. They took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. Now this reference to tree is very, uh, um, relates very well to Old Testament, especially to um, these people that are listening because in Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 to 23 it says that God Paul's drawing that idea God curses a person who is hanged from a tree Paul wants to communicate in this right he's trying to say that Jesus was cursed I mean the, the, the greatest curse God, from God, God cursed his son in the flesh. Jesus was cursed so that we could be blessed. Jesus was cursed. Jesus took the whole world upon his body, the sins, the curse of the entire world, not just the curse that one man deserves, but all of the world, so that we could be blessed because of that. That's powerful. But God, but God, verse 30, and those are the two most powerful words, life-changing words that we should circle, embrace, and put a star and a smiley face because, beside of, because that is what the gospel is all about. We are broken, we are eternally separated from, from God. And we deserve not to be in his presence, not even in the least bit, because we are sinners. And for sin d deserves the wrath of hell. And that is where our eternity is going to be. But God loved us too much to leave us that way. But God for so, so loved the world. God so loved the world. God so loved you and me. 
that if we believe, we can experience salvation, right? But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to, Ju to Jerusalem. Talking about the, what, what, happened, uh, what happened after his death, who are now his witnesses to the people. So Jesus came back and he walked the earth. He did not decay. He walked the earth and he created these witnesses to advance the gospel. And Paul is part of that. Paul is part of what happened there. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it was written in the second psalm. You are my son, and today I've become your father. In verse 34, I, as to his raising from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken this way. And this is Jesus. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep. Now he goes back to David. He started and talked about the historical context of David, how much David was loved, and how, how God placed David there. And, God, and David was a spearhead for the movement uh, of the Jews and the growth of, the, the, of God's people. David was a loved man. So loved. He was an icon to all of, to all of the Jews. But David died, and, and David decayed, and his body rotted. Even David. But God raised Jesus. Jesus is the next level, and he's trying to remind them. God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. David fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, just like all the other kings, and he decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. But the one God raised up did not decay and is still alive today. That's the truth of the gospel. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, now he presents the gospel. You ready? Through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Let me read that one again. That was a bit, that was a bit much. It was a mouthful, but listen to this. Everyone who believes is justified. And it could put a period there. Justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. You see what he said in this. He said the law of Moses is this, this law of do and do nots. And you got to put a check mark beside all of them if you want any hope of being right with God. You see, it's acts of man. Before Jesus, it was the things that we had to do to work. It was our works to make us right with God. But now, we have been justified. We have been made right with God, not by anything that we have done or can do or will do, but, everything, but what Jesus done, what he did for us, we have been justified. A price we could never pay has been paid. A death we could, a death that we deserved has been died for us. Great mercy and amazing grace through Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. I'm just going to read this to you. That is the gospel of what he's saying. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, nothing we can do. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Only Jesus. All glory to Jesus. It's nothing we can do. We can strive to look good to the world, but that will decay. It'll be forgotten, and nobody will remember it two, three years from now. They'll forget you ever existed. Forever. We, we strive and we work so hard to be loved by the world. And all that is waste. Should we, we should store up our treasures in heaven. Jesus doesn't just forgive us, but Jesus justifies us. Our sins are forgiven. Okay. All those sins are not on me. But then there's justification that puts us to where we need to be to be made right with God. We are justified in blood. And it finishes up with this. Paul does all this and he tells us the good. He tells, he tells the Jews, and he's telling us now, he, 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 the good things that have happened, that God's in control, that the prophecies were made, that it was all coming down to this. Jesus came. That's the Messiah that you've been looking for. But even you sentenced him to death. But God, but God so loved you. In verse 40, so... And he all, he'll add this on it. You'll see Paul's bold. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. He put some pressure, right? Does not happen to you. And then he, he, he references the Old Testament. Look what he says. He says, look, you scoffers. Look, you scoffers. Marvel and vanish away. Because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe even if someone were to explain it to you. As the worship team comes up, we've got, we've, we're seeing what, what the scripture just says. A work that you will never believe, even if someone was to explain it to you. Paul lays it out like that. You've got it all laid out here. We are far more fortunate than the people of that time. We have got the word of God, the living true word of God at our fingertips and it's being told to us and it is so easy we are we have access to the gospel like no one has ever had before yet we don't believe it yet we see it as just some religion and some way for the world to control us and government to control us and this and that and this and that we try to make excuses and push God to the side because that doesn't fit our personal desires and goals. But when we see the truth and we see the promises that God has made come to fruition, we see that everything that's happened in our life and we look back and we should be in awe. We should be in wonder of God's amazing power that he's led us to be where we are right now. That he's given us the opportunity to hear the gospel like we are right now. But we push it to the side. We push it to the side. Even if someone were to explain it to you, you don't believe it. You see, the greatest speaker, the, someone with uh, the, 
a golden tongue to come up here and speak powerful words to give you chills all over your arms and make you feel good and empower you to go through the world and be so happy and feel so good about your life. And that would be a waste because it's all about what's in your heart. It's that secret place in your heart that you've made a commitment. You can put it all on the front. You can, you can give an amazing front and make the world believe you're a great Christian, but it's what you have committed in your heart. All that it comes down to. You, you want to know what it boils down to? That's it. Have you made a heart change, a commitment in your heart that you are so sure of? You believe that Jesus is who he says he was. And you're committed to live like him. To glorify him. And the desires of your heart are now gone and you are made brand new. That is the focus, that is the desire, and that is the epitome of what a believer in Jesus Christ is. So I encourage you today. Don't walk out of here just not believing in if someone were to explain it to you. If you want to know more about Jesus, I would love to sit and talk to you. Don't. Don't be just like those folks. This is an opportunity for us to grow and learn more about who he is and ultimately who we are because of him. We're made right with God through the justification of Jesus Christ. And only you can do that and the commitment that you make. So as we worship today, I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's all stand together right now.